Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But one of the things I had somebody tell me about being a good ALM, you have to care. This is BIPOC Credits, a podcast highlighting BIPOC crew members working in the BC film industry. Listen in to stories from behind the scenes of your favorite films and TV shows. Together, let's celebrate the progress we've seen so far in becoming a more diverse film industry. Plus, learn how you can be a part of the BC film industry. Here's your host, Andy Wong. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of BIPOC Credit. Most people working in film get their start in the locations department as a production assistant. It's a position that often requires the most crew members, and although it's extremely overlooked and underrated, the department itself is incredibly important to the making of any film. As a good friend likes to say, there's no location, there's no film. Today's guest is Mark Wilmot. He is an assistant locations manager who worked on TV shows such as When Calls the Heart, Day of the Dead, just to name a few. In this episode, he talks about the benefits of working on smaller shows versus bigger shows, and breaks down the responsibilities of the crew members working in the locations department. I love how extremely passionate he is about his job, and he really brings out the excitement for this department, and energy that this industry really needs because location PAs have the highest turnaround of any department. He has some great ideas as to what our industry needs in order to train the right people who want to stay in location. Finally, Mark is also a director with an intrinsic interest in horror movies. He talks about the exciting time it is right now in the world for horror films and BIPOC directors. So keep listening because here is my conversation with Mark Wilma. Well, Mark, thanks so much for joining us here today. Uh, Mark here has worked on TV shows such as When Calls the Heart, Travelers, Date My Dad, and uh, you worked on uh, Man in High Castle as well at some point. Is that right? Yeah, I did I did season four of Man in the High Castle, which um, was one of those moments being an ALM that it was kind of like I, people act like it was going to be like this big test for me. Like people are like, oh, man, that, that show's going to kick your ass, Mark. That, that's going to be a tough. I stand by it's the easiest show I've done in film. <laughs> Man in the High Castle season four yeah. was by far my easiest job I've ever had. And I watched a parking lot as a crew part parking lot for four weeks on um, Sanctuary way back in the day. Yeah. And High Castle was easier than that. Like, I mean, watching a crew park parking lot doesn't sound extremely difficult. It's not. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun on that show. That was, I mean, Mike Macri, a buddy of mine who was on High Castle with me. Um, we, uh, he just brought me out. It was Riverview and I sat there for weeks jogging and writing scripts. I'd bring my laptop and I'd write for like half an hour and then I'd jog around crew park and then I'd write for half an hour. Then I'd jog around crew park. Um, high castle was still easier. What makes a, a ALM day, uh, easy and, uh, and difficult? I mean, well, being, being an assistant location manager is one of those things like it can be. I, I regularly say it's one of the hardest jobs in film in general. I mean, we're, we're dealing with both sides all the time. We have, you know, we've got the cities, we've got civilians, we've got people, we've got film people and film people and regular people don't know how to coexist. Like there's just a line um, that exists between film and the real world. And I always say like locations is the membrane that's in between those. 
and the job can be really tough but the thing about a show like high castle every problem has one solution and it's money like man in the high castle had basically from what i could tell limitless money and so anytime something was going to be tough or problematic i had money to either make people happy or buy more space or throw it more resources and people to just help me with the situation. Like we, I think we had 21 people in our office on that show in the locations office. I come from like, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, things like when calls the heart or date. My dad, like date. My dad was a TV series that was a regularly out on location. And it was me, Dave Fullerton, the LM and James head, my towel. That was it. That was our whole locations department. So right. I'm episodes while on set with episodes and James is running around trying to find parking for me. And Dave's dealing with locations and scouts, which like was all honestly half the time, the scouts were me and James as well. Like those shows are tough and they're fulfilling. I, I actually still really like um, the small world. Uh, I like the MOW world. I like, you know, lower budget TV stuff. I think that's, it's more fulfilling as an ALM for me to do that. I mean, yeah, getting to work on the huge projects. I did the pilot for Deadly Class as well, which was a ton of fun. And it was just cool to work on that. That was a Russo Brothers project. And our stunt coordinator was the guy who, who like, just finished on the Avengers Infinity War. And yeah, we, that is really cool. We got to talk to him about that. And I was like, wow, my nerd self was going crazy. I was like, this is awesome. Yeah. But, you know, I, I really do like small smaller shows because there's more to do it feels like i'm doing more when i'm doing a really busy show um especially when i'm like when i do a show like uh i did netflix's away which i wish had kept going that was a really good show to work on but there were so many times where i'm like i couldn't be around even my crew and my guys because i was always running around trying to get other things done high castle was a really great opportunity to just watch a movie get made like watch a show get made and that's why i got into film in the first place i like being a part of making movies I want to watch movies happen. I think that's like a really cool, what we do is magic still. Like I still honestly believe like the film industry is magic and the things we do is magical and fantastical. Can you uh, explain uh, what uh, assistant location manager does? Like what are your responsibilities? When, when I talk to people outside of film and they ask me what an ALM does, what an assistant location manager does, I always say we're kind of like, um, we're like the on the day event planner, like a wedding or things like that. We're the logistics folks. Say like a location manager, which is another job I've done a fair bit. Though Honestly, I prefer being an ALM. I, I like being on set. And the location manager, they're working with, you know, the creative team. They're working with production designers, directors, producers, and they have their scouts that go out find locations. And they kind of, they get, they're a real, location manager gets to be a real part of deciding how this movie is going to look, how the show is going to look. We, we really help figure out those steps and that. And then they're also dealing with, you know, location managers deal with the contract. So we're filming at somebody's house. They're negotiating that deal. We, they figure out what they're going to, how much they're paying them, what we're doing with them when they go, if we're putting them up in a hotel. So they location managers deal specifically with where we're filming, what's going to be on camera, those spaces and ALM we deal with the logistical side outside of that. So my, you know, my LM will pick a location. We're going to film it this house on this street. I got to figure out, okay, what are we doing for where's circus parking? Where is the work trucks parking? Where, what are we doing with uh, the people in the neighborhood? Like houses that we're going to bother houses that we're going to, I negotiate with those folks and I negotiate with um, everybody on the outside. So we've got like the next ring of kind of influence on how we deal with things locations department is kind of the foundation for film uh between the location manager and the assistant location manager we're getting all the filming permits we get the we apply for the electrical permits we apply for everything that lets the movie work happen i always say one of the things we do is our job is kind of making sure that the film world gets to just do its thing like we make sure that it's easy for the creatives and everything. they don't have to worry about anything outside they don't got to worry about things coming into their shots like one of the main things we do is making sure we kind of control the zone like alms we run the pas and we run the product we run the production decisions so we make yeah. sure that everything's in place to prevent interference of any kind from coming in on on the way the film works my like things that i do daily like i always say being a, a good alm um i'm i try to be the first guy in last guy out at every location we ever go to so 
if a generator is going to start up and run, like, you know, Jenny Ops, they got some of the worst hours in film. The way I see it is if that Jenny's going to turn on and we're filming in a neighborhood or a business that anyone might be bothered by that, I'm that face that's got to be there to make sure that I can solve any of those problems. So I usually get there, like I set my end times to be there with the Jenny op and I'm, you know, unless it's an easy location or other things, like if it's any kind of sensitive location, I always make sure I'm the, I'm after I drive out after the last truck leaves. <laughs> that's just kind of the way I, I, I function as an ALM and it's, you know, it's not necessarily great for my sleeping pattern, but it's, uh, it's really good for, it helps. I mean, you genuinely naturally care about, about keeping a good relationship with the people that we work with. Yeah. I mean, it's, I look at, I was doing a fairly big TV series, uh, a year and a half ago and we had a massive change. Um, there was a massive change on the creative side that facilitated, we needed to move a bunch of locations around with very little notice. And, uh, we were filming it. We were supposed to film in Pit Meadows, and I send an email to the city rep in Pit Meadows, and she replied that the only reason she was letting a show our size change everything like that was because I was on the show, and I didn't. I didn't CC our production manager. She did, like she included the production manager in so she, he could see that. And I was like, "Oh, that was really nice. Thanks. That makes me feel real good." Mm-hmm. And. uh that's that is that's the reputation thing um i know it's uh it's one of the i've listened to the podcast i know it's one of your guys's questions but uh one of the it's not so much advice but one of the things i had somebody tell me about being a good alm um you have to care and it's hard to train someone to care about things um but being a good ALM, being good in locations at all. Yeah. I honestly think, you know, the PAs that are good at it, they show it, they show this as well as just caring, like genuinely giving a crap about the movie, the industry, the city and the people we're impacting. It's an important thing. I mean, one of the like locations gets a bad rap a lot of the times for being kind of we're the we're the we're the bottom end, you know, we're where you know, you start as a PA uh and that's for most people i mean less and less as the industry grows but for most people pa is your day one in film most people started out as a pa a lot of people move out really quickly some people stick around and you know stay with locations and even myself i've made jokes about you know i got stuck in locations but um i don't i i always say it's self-depreciating humor because i really do like being an alm it's fulfilling in a way that I mean, I, I do have my craze. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'll get into it at some point. But I make my own films. I'm a producer. I'm a writer. Uh, I have been a director. I'm going to try to be again soon. And um, I love that side of filmmaking. But there's something really fulfilling about being a, a locations guy when the movie works and that everything's kind of going the right way. Um, we really are the foundation. Like we really we we hold up the rest of the industry, and for the most part, we make the industry look good. When someone when someone's walking by a set and they're going, oh, what are you guys filming? It's a PA that is that face that goes, oh, we're filming this. It's that PA that, you know, gets to sell it. I mean, you know, Mayo commercials and such jokes aside, for the most part, that PA, you know, you put a smile on your face and that person walks away <laughs> going, that's so cool. I just got to see a movie get made. They didn't see a movie get made. They saw a PA three blocks yeah. away in a vest telling them they can't walk yeah. through this set. They walk away with that thinking, oh, man, that's so cool. I saw X-Men getting filmed or whatever. It's like. Yeah. Yeah. Just to recap, the location manager is the one that's like kind of more in charge of the creative side, um, uh, talking to the director and um, the creative team. The ALM is the one that um, takes the locations that the location manager has found and makes sure that nothing uh, goes goes wrong on the day and nothing like gets into the shot and controls the the crew that they hire, etc., uh, etc. Et um, and then uh, the PAs are the ones that you know listen to the ALM and make sure um, and, and just like helps the ALM however they need. Being a PA can be really tough. It's fifteen hours. You're sometimes in the rain. Sometimes you're bored to tears, and sometimes people are disrespectful to you by virtue of you being a grunt. Yeah. So I always try to go. I always say like I'm going to go chat chat up my PAs, talk to every one of them, and. And see where they're going. Just try to make their day a little better, make their day a little easier. It's it's unfortunate that like locations 
are always the the lowest rung um because you start off as a pa people think like you know because you start off in this one position and you pay, get paid the least you're the lowest of the rung but pas are so important to production i'm so glad that most of my pas that have worked for me most of my keys you included are way better now like i mean i look at some of my keys are you know i've got former key pas that not even from that long ago that are working in uh, as sound mixers as boom ops they're attached to the unions and they're they've got their props their ad's working like i mean i always love walk almost any show i walk on now there's like somebody in a higher up position that used to pa for me and that's while that's incredibly fulfilling for me and makes me really happy to see everybody moving up and out it's one of the biggest parts about being an ALM is we're, we're, we're mentoring people at their earliest stages in their film career. Is there a specific mindset that you would say helps you keep your stress level at a good level? Um, anything that you think about? Um, I don't stress out as an ALM. I just don't, I don't have it in me. I, I'm not a stressed out person. I don't, uh, I don't, freak out over things i'm really i take the time to even when everything's falling apart i have an innate ability to kind of analyze it and look at it critically and and try to remove kind of emotion and and and, and panic from the situation you got to be organized you got to have the ability to you know keep track of you know if you've got 31 locations on a 15-day show which i've done before <laughs> um that's a lot to keep track of that's a lot of things to go and have in your head and all that, but all that's trainable, all that's something you can focus on and learn and make sure you can set up systems, having whatever apps on your phone to help you do those things. That's all great. And all that's part of the job. But being able to manage your stress level, keep people around you from stressing out. Back in the day as a PA, if an ALM was stressing out and freaking out and panicking, I thought to myself, oh, man, I guess I got it. Why am I not panicking? Like, things must be going crazy. So, it, it, you know, you're that, that figurehead at the top that everything falls down from um yeah. you got to make sure that you can maintain that and and be the leader you need to be to keep the rest of it from falling apart i've got a story that uh when i was a pa i was being on a steven seagal movie uh 2009 maybe eight something like that and i was paying and i was i was still fairly new to regular work i day called on a lot of stuff before that and i'd done a lot of other jobs but it was like i I kind of, it was around the time that I made my first commitment. Like I'm going to work in film. I'm going to work full time in this industry. And I got people, I, you know, I was talking to the ALM and things were going well. And I, I kind of got given this little moment of responsibility where I had to go help make a deal for a place uh, that we wanted to film at. Something else had fallen apart. And I had a connection at this place. It was a bar in mission and I knew the guys, so I went and talked to them. My LM was like, yeah, if you can go talk to them, get a deal. I got the deal. I got everything in place. And then when we were filming there, the owner of the building showed up and said, hey, uh, he doesn't have a sublease agreement. He can't actually rent out to you guys. You have to deal with me, not the bar. And he goes, so I want you guys out of here. And I panicked. And then he went, oh, you know, I guess they're going to be nice. And I'm sure this was the plan from the get-go. He goes, well, if you just pay me what you paid him, we'll call it even. So I had to call my ALM and be like, hey, I know we're paying this bar 10 grand. You know, the building showed, blah, blah, blah. He wants 10 grand too, or he's going to kick us out of the building. And my ALM wasn't super nice about it. They made me feel like shit about it. And uh, yeah. basically told me that I cost production $10,000 and blah, blah, blah. And then we moved on from that location. He left me there. He's like, hey, you know what? You had this location all dialed in. He said it super sarcastically. So you had this all dialed in. You can stay here and wait until everything's gone. And I was waiting there and I was mad at myself. And I, I felt like I'd let the show down and this and that. And this guy came up to me and yeah. I had no idea what it was. And he said, hey, hey kid, what's going on? Why, you look down. I was oh, you know, I'm just having a rough day. He goes, what's up? And I don't know why I opened up to him. He For sure. seemed like a, you know, an open person, I guess. And I said, I just cost production 10 grand. And I told him the story and he smiled and laughed a little bit. And he said, well, so you cost production 10 grand. That means you cost me 10 grand. Uh, I'm the producer of this movie. I, you know, I'm the main funner. And, you know, he, he told me that uh, right then my heart dropped again because I was like, oh, God, I cost this good. And he goes, Mark, I am, I'm not making 
this Steven Seagal movie for yeah. three million dollars because I have three million dollars, three million and ten thousand dollars. He goes, I'm making this movie, and he said, he's, I'm making this movie be for three million dollars because if I lose three million dollars this year, it's not going to hurt. Yeah. He goes, I want you to remember that you're a kid playing in a millionaire's sandbox. That's all you're doing. Don't stress out about this stuff. Right. Yeah. And I tell that story to most people who work for me. I that resonated with me. And I mean, it's not entirely true. I mean, obviously we should care and we're not just playing pretend. Um, but I think it helps with that mentality is just rem just remember, like no matter what happens in you know, on a film set, no matter what how much money gets cost, as long as no one gets hurt, we're not curing cancer, we're not rocket scientists, we're not you know totally. It helps with the stress. Just remember that, you know, as long as you're doing your job to the best of your ability and no one gets hurt, yeah, that's all you can do, and that's all you're expected yeah. to do. People might be jerks about it. They might be mean about it. Things go wrong in the moment. But, I mean, I mean half the people I know have been fired on in film have worked for the same guy who fired them a year later, and no one remembered. Like, totally, yeah. Everybody learns. I mean, there's people that I've, you know, I've got, there's a couple names in my phone that have DNR, DNH next to them, which means do not hire. Every one of those people, after a while, I'd give another chance to because everyone deserves a second chance. Something might have gone wrong. Who knows? I, you know, I had some guy. I had a guy literally get mad because I yeah. asked him to do something. Yeah. And what I, I was reasonable. It was part of his job, and he was clearly having a bad day. He threw his radio at the ground, and started mouthing off, and he left. And I was like, okay, well, I'm never bringing him back. I immediately went to my phone, put DNH next to his name. A few years later, I ran into him on a show, and he apologized, and he had. Kind of had his stuff together. We're friends. We work together a bunch now. And I was like, yeah, people can have bad days. People have those. So you just, you get past it. And that's another thing about being an ALM is understanding that, you know, PAs are working their butts off for minimum wage, getting yelled at by people. Things are going to happen. Stuff's going to change in their day. Everyone's got lives outside of film too. I mean, you know, we have less, I think film people have less lives than, you know, normal people. <laughs> but so other than uh, um, LM, ALM and PAs, uh, is there another position that is, that's in locations? There's two. And I, I know where you're going. With that. The first one I'll just mention scouting. Scouting is one of the coolest things in location. Department. We get to go find locations, take pictures. It's weirdly invasive and voyeuristic. <laughs> um, and it feels awkward sometimes when you're like, hey, can, knock, knock, knock. Hey, can I this? I'm this random stranger you've never met before. Can I come in your house and take photos of your things, please? It's actually surprising how many people are like, yeah, sure, come on in. It kind of shows you how excited Vancouver and the Lower Mainland is to have movies involved. Yeah. Like, that's one of the coolest. Sure. Another cool part about locations is we get to see all these people that are, like, like I said about the, the story about PAs, with somebody just walking by as part of that movie. So many people are so excited to have film in, in Vancouver in their houses. And, and you know... Being a camera guy, you never get to see the joy in someone's eyes when they're they find <laughs> out that you're gonna, you know, that a Hallmark movie is being made in their house. So being a scout, you get to do that stuff too, um, and it's fun to find locations. The other position in um, locations is the trainee assistant location manager position, or TAL for short. It's kind of on the same rung as a TAD, which is the trainee AD. Um, Except for the fact that for me specifically, a TAL is a misnomer. A trainee right. assistant location manager is not training to be an assistant location manager other than training to deal with the stresses and nightmares that come involved with all that stuff. Like that's all they get to watch and a location manager crumble. <laughs> that's the best part of training you get out of being a TAL is you're in the office when everything hits the fan and everything's on yeah. fire. But trainees... Um, if I say ALMing is one of the hardest jobs in film, I do like to say trainee ALM is one of the easiest jobs because you've always got a boss to rely on. It's always their fault. An ALM has a boss, but there's still so much in their world that if something messes up in my world as an ALM, it's definitely my fault. If a trainee messes up, it's never their fault. But uh, trainee, like they do maps. They do a lot of times they'll run POs. A lot of times they're doing my petty cash for me because I'm lazy and busy. Equal parts. Um, they do, being a trainee ALM, I mean, despite the fact that, the, again, the reason I say it's not trainees, because a lot of jobs that a trainee uh, ALM does, that a TAL does, you never do again as an ALM or an LM. 
It really okay. is its own position. And I'd love to see that actual job become its own position, either call that a prep ALM, which is a term we kind of throw around a lot now, though it's not a real category. Okay. Um, and I mostly because I'd love an actual trainee. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Position. When I look yeah. at one of the things about being a TAD is with a TAD, you're on in the area watching an AD do things. An AD is, you know, he's dealing with, the first AD is dealing with crew to, or the AD team in general, dealing with crew, dealing with cast, dealing with all that stuff. A TAD really does get to be a part of that. A lot of times they're helping or depending on the number of background, they're running background. They're doing little things that really will grow, visibly grow into the things you're going to do as a third, a second, and a first. Right. A TAL doesn't really have that. I mean, sure, POs and things like that are stuff we all need to know how to do in the management side of locations. But like I look at maps, the only time I do maps nowadays is if my I'm helping train my TAL how to do those maps. Or if I'm, you know, it's a crazy busy show, I'll do my insert maps as opposed to directionals because I have to do them for other reasons. Like yeah. I make an insert map of every location I go into and I figure out, okay, I need 12 PAs at this location because this, 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 this. So I just kind of use that and give it to my trainee to make an insert map out of. But that doing an insert map isn't training him to do anything because as soon as he becomes an ALM or an LM, he's never doing it ever again. Right, right. It, it's its own position because you're not training on anything because as soon as you move up, you're just going to rely on the new trainee to do all that stuff for you despite being this kind of perceived lowest department and despite being this, um, you know, department that I, again, I've made jokes about being stuck in, even though again, I really do love it. Um, the incentive to stay in locations isn't there. You've got scouting, you've got toweling, ALMing and LMing. It's those yeah. four jobs, but there's usually very few of them. And 
it's just there's not much incentive to get in. It's yeah. not a ton of money. And I, I don't think like people actually realize uh, location managers sometimes become production managers. I, um, in my opinion, the best production managers came from location managers. I really do, and I and I say that, and and you're right. Nobody realizes that. Um, yeah. And it's also because it it doesn't happen a lot, a lot, and even when it does happen, you don't hear too many. You don't hear too many PMs talk about it. Like yeah, right. Even the PMs that I know come from locations. They might say it to me as an ALM or my trainee, but I you don't hear a PM going to a PA and saying, "You want to be a production manager? I went through production man. Like I started out as a PA. I went through locations and did yeah. that. Like they might say they started out as a PA, but they don't really lay it out. You don't I don't hear know those stories. Yeah, you don't. You don't hear a lot of stories like that, and it's unfortunate because. ALMing, you manage people more than a lot of other jobs. Um, yeah. You're managing PAs, you're manage, and you do, to an extent, manage the rest of the crew. I mean, how many times as an ALM have I had to go up to other departments and make sure they're doing things a certain way to adhere to our permit or to do anything? You get to know everybody on a crew in the as a PPA, as an ALM, and you get to have that kind of a little bit of authority. It's not usually overly well-respected authority, but it's a little bit of authority. And location managers deal with transport. They're, they know what how big a show needs to be. They know how to do all that. And again, it's one of those things that if you're the type of person to be good as a person in the management side of locations, the rest of the PM stuff, you can train. But I think the mindset that makes someone a, naturally good at being an ALM or an LM are really great assets to have as a PM. Um, first of all, patience. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be patient with being an ALM. You have to be patient. Honestly, the best yeah. PMs are patient. They're not, you know, yeah. freaking out and stuff. Um, yeah. Being a location manager, you're also, you get trained in doing things with budgets, with money management, with all that, that is obviously right. a major part of being a production manager. Yeah. I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong. There's not a whole lot of budget management in AD world. Not at all. Um, well, <laughs> like, as a first, like maybe because um, you you kind of have to be in charge of um, the or you have to like think about the budget for cast and background. Yeah, but that's, yeah, you have, that's as far as it goes. I was going to say you, it's, it's people. It's but yeah. um, but I, you don't I get like the logistical side of things. Yeah, and I and that's so important for a good PM to have. It's so important for a good PM to have a good logistical background. If you want to get into locations, I'll say the path your path should be PA, a little bit of key PA, a lot of van driver. Um, van driver is one of the coolest positions. It's, it's I, I wish it was its own category as well. Come on, DGC, sure. help me out because <laughs> they're like a location. <laughs> yeah. If if you know other terms, um, like best boy, like electric best boy or grip best boy, a van driver is the location's best boy. They run the van. They keep everything. They keep track of everything. They're the most logistical position as a PA. You've got to make sure you're you know where all your stuff is, everything's going on. So you if you're a good van driver, it's a good step towards being an ALM. Actually, the ALM on a show I was doing the other day said if if I have a van driver who's good for a year, I basically give him carte blanche to do whatever he wants the next year. Like I'll be nice. And I'm like, we we love our van drivers. ALM, we you get a good van driver. My my all my former van drivers have worked as ALMs. Like that's your path, PA, van driver, TAL, ALM, LM, PM. I don't find I don't think the DGC advertises the locations department good enough like that. And I think a lot of people get stuck at that. Again, talking about the trainee thing, a lot of people get stuck in that gap between trainee and ALM because it's hard to move up. That's ALM is a full member category at the union, uh, the directors guild, and you can't list as an ALM until you have that. Until you're a full member, until you have those days. Until you're a full member, until you have 300 days. 300 days as an ALM, I mean, I guess you can have 150 days as a towel, but minimum you need 150 days as an ALM to be able to list as an ALM. The industry doesn't do enough to make that a possibility. So I feel like even people who want to get into locations, they get stuck in those places and they're, you know, again, a towel is basically making like, I think towel makes like four bucks a day more than a, like they get rentals a lot, but it's like it's barely more than a P, than a key PA. So you get this towel doing that, and then they're all oh, they didn't get a towel show, so they went back a PA, and then some grips like, hey man, you're really good at your job. Why don't yeah. you come make more money and do this? And then we lose them. 
how did you get into the ALM role? And do you think you're going to get out of it and be a filmmaker? It's going to make me sound like a hypocrite because I was there and I was willing to work. I was that guy who was, who was toiling away in locations and got off the job. But I mean, I did want, um, I started working as a PA. My, my buddy's stepdad was a project manager on a, at a studio. Well, he was actually a real estate agent that got hired as a projects manager because that's how things happen. And they brought us on to PA, <clears throat> excuse me. I went on to PA a cooking show. Um, it was called cook off America, not the cook off America that you can find on IMDb. I've never <laughs> seen the show. I've never okay. heard of it ever since. Um, but that was the first show I worked on as a PA. And then I literally drove around Vancouver um, the summer after my first year of university. I just started driving around Vancouver looking for pink arrows. And I'd follow them and then find somebody in a vest and be like, hey, can I talk to your TPA or ALM? And then I'd offer my services and I would fudge the truth about how many have you done this before I'm like oh i've been doing this for a long time yeah long time I've, i got a lot and for the record that cooking show was not being a pa i was it was great honestly it was the best first experience i could have had behind the camera i was doing i was helping with props um because it was cooks i was i was i literally became the props master of this cooking show because i knew where all the dishes were i was helping the the camera guys um i was pulling cable for camera i was helping set up lights i was helping set up flops and all sorts of stuff doing grip jobs i was doing a little bit of every job which at the time i was like man this is what being a pa is this is so cool i love this job and then i did a day on fantastic Four one um while they were at ubc and i got sat because the special effects truck parked somewhere else and i got sat at the special effects truck and i sat there for 16 hours <laughs> by myself change of pace from what you were first introduced to and i was like whoa what what happened? I thought being a PA was running cable, and then I realized, no, that's everybody else's job. Yeah. We were just on this tiny right. little crummy yeah. cook, cooking show, which was awesome. But it got me; it gave me a great basis for doing it. And then, kind of as I move forward, following Pink Arrows and getting jobs here and there, and then when I was back at UBC, I would just any show that came uh, to UBC, I would say, "Hey, I'll I'll work on the show." And if if they needed me right away, and they didn't, I did some volunteer days, which the BGC now totally frowns upon but then i was just like i'll help out like whatever you need and that got me enough work that got me um moving into locations and i did a whole bunch of other stuff i was i did some sound i was boom up on a bunch of independence i did some gripping i did a lot of set deck for a while and but locations mm -hmm. kind of called the most often um yeah i get show calls on locations right out of university i started getting show calls and it was awesome because it wasn't two days while they're at university and then like four weeks later getting a call to do a 52 PA day yeah. on fantastic four two downtown. So I just stuck with it. Um, and I kept, I wanted, to, I started letting my bosses know, Hey, I'm thinking of moving up in yeah. this industry. I'm thinking of moving up in locations, you know, start, they started giving me a little more responsibilities. Um, and then I had a really, a rough go when, um, right before I was about to have my first kid, we also got in a car accident. Uh, a month before uh, my wife gave birth, um, we got in a car accident and I couldn't work at all. And I spent the first four months yeah. of my kid's life unemployed. And I came out of that and I called Dave Fullerton and I said, hey, man, do you have any work for me? I really need I need something. I got a kid. Yeah. I got no money. My EI is done and ICBC yeah. is not giving me anything. Uh, it took me four years to get wow. anything from ICBC for that. And Dave had said, I'm going to train you as a scout. So it's not, he knew that my back was still sore. He right. knew I couldn't do 15 hours a day, hauling yeah. plywood and all that stuff that PAs have to do. And so he said, I'm going to get you to scout. So at the beginning of 2014, I started scouting. And um, before the end of 2014, he had me, uh, he'd realized I was a decent scout. He had me doing contracts and he had me back what we made the joke, calling it a PAL, <laughs> which is like a PA towel, a PA trainee, because I wasn't listed as a towel. But I was working as a PA in the office with them doing contracts. And then basically I started 2015 ALM. What kind of films do you want to make? I, I started, I was an actor. I always wanted to, to work in film my whole life. And the reason I wanted to get into film is, uh, I always say bad parenting aside, when I was four years old, I watched the movie Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, I had just had a, I, a 
I got into an accident. I ran through a patio door and uh, cut my face up real bad. And I had a bunch of stitches and it was late at night and I couldn't sleep because the stitches were itching me. And I went into the living room. My parents were about to watch a movie. And I said, can I just watch the movie with you guys? And they were really hesitant, but they're like, he's probably just going to fall asleep. Let's let him. And I stayed up for the entire movie. I watched all of Nightmare on Elm Street at four years old. (laughs) And when the movie was done. Not um, a four-year-old movie. When the movie was done, I told my parents, that's what I wanted to do. And my dad was like, you want to act? You want to make movies? And I said, no, I want to scare people. I told my dad that I wanted to scare people when I grew up. That was my new passion in life. And so I ended up doing a little bit of acting here and there. And uh, when I was 15, um, I ripped off the Blair Witch Project, which had just come out. And I made the Pit Witch Project because I live in Pit Meadows. Um, And it was a found footage movie. Uh, It was an hour long. Wow. You made an hour long movie? And about 20 of it's actually watchable. So, you know, Um, I always make jokes. One day I'm going to recut that movie down to like half an hour long and see if I can make it worth watching to actually share and put on YouTube. But um, horror became my passion. I love working on horror movies. I used to pick jobs solely based on if I like I'd turn down jobs if there was like mm, a shot yeah. I might get a horror movie yeah. in the next little bit. Um, so as a filmmaker, I love making scary movies. And one of the coolest things now, I mean, you know, to touch on what this podcast is about, I love seeing the amount yeah. of black voices that are in horror right now. Like it's like, um, you know, like. Yeah. I'm I I know I consider myself a black filmmaker and I I love horror movies and we've got this kind of stigma um and there's a a great documentary um on Shudder about black huh. voices in horror and it's it's awesome. Is it called Horror Noir? Yes, Horror Noir. Thank you. Yeah, Horror Noir, that's the one. So as a filmmaker and as a black filmmaker making horror movies, making scary movies, that's my passion. My company is called Creepy Corridor Pictures. But as a filmmaker, that's what I, I want to write and produce primarily. I do like directing. Um, but I, I think one of the problems with directing, um, I said earlier, uh, I like watching movies get made. And one of my favorite things about being on set and being an ALM and why I prefer being an ALM to being an LM is I like being a part of just watching the movie happen. And I feel like having directed long, I haven't directed anything since 09, but having directed, it's so you're so in like you're so in your own head about directing and you're so focused that I like I'm not just in for the story I really like the watching the act of making the movie because I think that's where the magic is thank you for that Uh, I do want to end off with the rapid fire questions that I'm sure you've (laughs) heard on the other uh, on the other episodes Um, the first being uh, what's the worst advice you were ever given Um, worst advice I was ever given I got told that if I wanted to make my movies and get my movies made. I needed to. I was. I wish I could remember the exact word, but he basically said he glanced at my script and said, "Everything needs to change. You need to make a movie that producers want to watch, and even if you don't know what that is, you got to make those changes." And that was the way he phrased it. He was like, "Even if you don't know what it is." And, and the reason I say that's the worst advice ever is because that's the, one of the problems with Hollywood, in my opinion, right now is we don't have enough people making the movies they want to watch that the filmmaker wants to watch. We, I think one of, especially the horror genre, and he is a horror filmmaker, this guy who said this to me, um, horror, is, it's, it has the ability, because it makes a little bit of money and doesn't cost a lot of money, a lot of studios get involved. And you can tell, you go watch a horror movie that, that you know, truth or dare or fantasy island or some of the like more mainstream stuff blumhouse does i love blumhouse they're a great production company. i love their movies but those movies they feel soulless and awful and um but then you go watch like the idea of telling a filmmaker make a movie that the producers want to watch that the studios want to watch i look at robert eggers the lighthouse and i i was when i first saw that movie i was like i want to be in the room when the producers just watch that and I'm like does it need to be black and white do they need to talk like that? Does it need to be three, four ratio? Like there's nothing in that movie that a studio exec went, this is the exact movie I've always wanted to see. That was a filmmaker with a beautiful voice and a vibrant vision making his movie. And I'm like, that's, that's the advice you should be given. So what's the best advice that you were ever given? Don't take it so seriously. What would you tell your younger self uh, starting to get into this industry? 
I deliberately did not go into this early because I knew this question was coming. Do it properly. Hmm. Um, I started joining the union. I, I was in the permittee program, the logbook holder program with the Directors Guild three separate times. When you get into the union, you need 150 days. You need 30 days to get your logbook and 120 days on your logbook. And then you can join the union. There's a bunch of courses and classes and stuff you need to also get. But 150 days. When I finally got accepted and did the work to join the union, um, I had 667 days as a PA, which as the horror in me hurt that I missed it by one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Could have been yeah. 666. So my advice to give to my younger self or anyone coming up in this industry, do it properly. Go get your courses, get your logbook, work. You don't need to be perfect at the job. No PA starts perfect. But if you're working hard, guys like me are going to notice that we're going to keep you working and be passionate about it. And in your opinion, what does a more diverse film industry look like? I grew up in a fairly white town and that skewed a lot of my views and things because I was only exposed to that side of the world. Like my parents moved here from Jamaica and I grew up white, essentially. Like I'm not, but I grew up, nobody, I mean, fortunately I didn't deal with a lot of racism in the town uh, growing up as a kid nobody cared that i looked different but my experience was white and my experience was western middle-class canada and the more diversity we get in any industry but specifically in film the better off we're all going to be in understanding what everyone else is going through what everyone else can do with their lives and 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 we can because we are in an entertainment industry we can broaden the concept of what people consider entertainment everybody who comes from a different point of experience a different color creed religion you know everything i mean shit social sexual orientation coming from different gender ideas is important when we're bringing stories together when we're bringing problem solving together and we live in this diverse market like vancouver is a very diverse city having diversity helps my job deal with it as well. I mean, making sure we have the right people in the right places and the right spread of everything makes all of our lives easier. And it's, and as far as the idea of how we get there, I think we're doing it right. We're finally, it's, it's baby steps. You know, the amount of BIPOC and, you know, um, gender diverse directors, producers, filmmakers, and that I've managed to work with just in the last few years is amazing. It's fantastic. It's great. So it's probably not happening fast enough for some people, but it's happening. So, I mean, I think we are doing the right things. I think we are making the right steps, even if I don't believe the motives are necessarily in the right place all the time. It's happening, and I'm glad it's happening because I think in a few years down the road, we're going to look back at these steps and think, man, that happened really well. Thank you so much again. And uh, where where can people find you on socials? Um, I'm on Instagram with my main account at MarkWCCP which is mostly just my kids and beer. And then I have a review account that I like to run, which is uh, at Mark versus the movies where I review uh, almost any movie, but a lot of horror movies. Um, and then my IMDB Mark Wilmot has my credits and my YouTube channel, um, creepy corridor pictures, uh, which is, has our short films we've done trailers to the feature, which is still on the festival circuit. And uh, I'm going to start doing video reviews on there as well. And hopefully more stuff. So yeah. Thanks a lot for listening guys. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mark. That's it for today, but as always, please go follow us on Instagram. Our producer, Nightingale, consistently promotes upcoming events and opportunities for BIPOC crew members in the BC film industry. Check that out. If you missed anything on Instagram, we have an episodic newsletter where you can find all that information, as well as additional information on our guests. If you want to support our podcast, go leave a review on iTunes or Spotify. That really helps us. But most importantly, Share this with your friends who you think could really benefit from this episode. Maybe you could give them another perspective about the locations department they've never considered before, or even get them started in the film industry. I hope you guys have a fantastic week, and I'll see you on set. Thanks for listening to BIPOC Credits by Andy Wong. This episode was produced by Nightingale. Our editor is Rihanna Toy. Graphics by Joshua Lamb. Theme music by Peter Robinson and Patrick Fiore. Intro and outro voiceover by Mike Lee. Thank you to our community partner, culturebrew.art, for supporting us. 
don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at BIPOC Credits. If you're enjoying what we're doing here, subscribe to our newsletter to get all the juicy information we didn't quite get to in this podcast. Thank you once again for listening to BIPOC Credits. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.